broadcasting before and probably after the rapture. It's the Drew Marshall Show. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're giving away a copy of today's HarperCollins Canada book to one of our Facebook followers, but there's a catch. You've got to be one of our Facebook followers uh, from Canada, and you have to include your address. Otherwise, it's really hard to send you the book. So send us a private message on the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page, and you could win a copy of Standing in the Fire, Courageous Christians Living in Frightening Times. This is a good uh, Easter Saturday topic. Not even ISIS can scare them off, folks. Uh, Christians continue to be the uh, most persecuted group across the globe in 2016. According to a recent study, 600 million Christians were prevented from practicing their faith. I want to ask the author uh, specifically about that uh, statistic. The findings continue a disturbing trend from the previous year in which Christians around the world endured horrific acts of persecution, including imprisonment and beheadings. Now, the powerless deserve to be protected, but their stories also deserve to be told to replenish Christians across the world with hope that God is in control. Tom Doyle wrote Standing in the Fire to demonstrate the church was triumphant through the lives of people who stood strong and didn't run away in the face of overwhelming danger. The flames of persecuting, uh, sorry, the flames of persecution are blazing, but new heroes of the faith are not afraid. Their stories will inspire you and show you a way to a deeper, fearless faith. Here's the website, standinginthefirebook.com. Standinginthefirebook.com. Tom Doyle is on the line with us. Tom, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Drew. Thank you so much for having me on the program. So 600 million Christians were prevented from practicing their faith. My first question to you is, um, how does someone get prevented from practicing their faith when their faith is not acts or works-based? If it's, a, if it's an internal relationship with the creator of the universe, how does one stop something internally? Yeah. Well, I mean, that can't be stopped as far as prayer and worship, but as far as following what Jesus commanded us to do, to go and make disciples of nations, to share the gospel, that happens in virtually every Muslim country, whether it's hardline, like Syria, or maybe possibly Iraq. Uh, even kind of the moderate countries like Jordan, it's not legal for someone to be sharing the gospel, which is what Jesus left us here to do anyway. So that happens. And then when you have the really tough, closed countries like Saudi Arabia, you cannot even be a Christian that opens your mouth there, or you're going to face imprisonment. And many do. But that's the reason I wrote the book, because there's so many frontline saints that are standing up in the midst of this, kind of come hell or high water, and God's protecting them. Hmm. Some are some are getting killed, but, but these eight stories are are like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They should be dead, but Jesus has kept them alive. And what stories they have to okay. share with us. A lot of our listeners uh, don't know those three names you just dropped, because we have listeners that aren't uh, um, part of the club. So can sure. you can you uh, just uh, uh, fill yeah. fill in the blanks as far as uh, Shadrach yeah. Meshach? No, it's not a it's not a lawyer firm. <laughs> Shadrach Meshach and Abednego. Who are they? That's right. 
Hey, that that sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, you know, in the book of Daniel, there was a king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he made a 90-foot-tall idol, and he wanted everybody to worship it. And, of course, there were Jewish captives there at that time, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to do it. And they were threatened with being thrown in a fiery furnace, and uh, and, the, and the king thought, well, that'll be that'll short-circuit that plan, but it didn't. They said, hey, our God's able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we serve him and not you. And, and of course, he was so angry, he threw them in the, the fiery furnace, and but they didn't die. And minutes later, he looked in and was astonished, not only that they were alive, but that there were more than three in there. There was one more, and he said he looked like the Son of God. He was trying to describe who that was, and we believe, of course, that was Jesus, and that's exactly what's happening today. Not a literal fiery furnace, but the fiery furnace of the Islamic State, Jabhat al-Nusra, Hamas, that are trying to squelch anybody that loves Christ from living out their faith today. Okay, um, I am sure Tom Doyle, author of Standing in the Fire, Courageous Christians Living in Frightening Times, that people have said to you, oh, you're just being uh, anti-Muslim. Hmm. You know, really, I'm not. Uh, we love the Muslims. God sent us there 20 years ago. I was a happy, contented pastor, but God sent us to the, to the Muslim world to reach out to them. And he, here's what we found, Drew. We found that 60% of Muslims globally don't even practice their faith. They really don't know much about it other than what they've been told. They were born into a Muslim family. Hold on, hold and on. You, you, dropped, all... you dropped a huge statistic there. You said 60% of Muslims don't actually Muslim. practice their faith? Not at all. Not at all. No, 30% practice, and they are just moderate Muslims. About 8 to 10% uh, believe that jihad is the way. Now, now, not all of them practice that because with 1.7 billion Muslims in the world, that would be uh, larger than the United States of America if that 10% all practiced jihad. They may lean that way, believe it. You throw ISIS in there, you throw others in there that think that's the right way. But about 90% of all Muslims, 60% don't practice, 30% do, and they're just very moderate. Okay, so when you say 60% of Muslims in the world don't practice their faith, somebody like maybe me, is going to say, how do you know that? Tell me how you sure. can qualify that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we work in missions, and so mission groups keep all kinds of statistics, and and there's a great partnership out there. But in the majority of villages that we would go, say, in Egypt, uh, they would say they're Muslim. We would say, tell us about your faith. What do you do? And they literally don't know anything whatsoever about it. They don't have a Quran. They've never read one. Uh, they have some ideas about what Islam is like. They wouldn't be able to defend it, wouldn't exactly know what what they even believe. Uh, this is what we see all over. Now, in the strict Muslim countries with Sharia law, that's going to be hammered into them, where they're going to be hearing it all the time. But this new generation of young Muslims and 60%, almost 70% in Iran, are under 30 years old. They're not practicing, and they're very turned off to Islam, uh, quite turned off, and really want nothing to do with it, other than just faking it for the government so they don't get arrested. Okay, I need you to paint us a little bit of a, of a picture without... Um 
No, I'm not. I'm not going to preface. <laughs> I'm sorry. My mind is just going in six different places, and I'm I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm leading the witness here. So, uh, can you paint us a picture of? In other words, tell us a story of someone who was yeah. a Christian who was horrifically persecuted. And what I'm asking for is gory, nasty, worst-case scenario kind of stuff. Because, listen, when all this stuff goes on over there, the reality is that us here, we don't really give a holy grunt about what goes on over there until yeah. until it's one of our people, you know, uh, right. uh, one of our little North American and typically white people that gets, uh, that gets picked on over there. All right. Right. Well, you know, Fareed is a friend of mine and he lives in uh, Syria, and he is a pastor there, but he's also a church planter. He works in the underground. And so there's large political groups there. The majority of Syria is Sunni Muslim. But Bashar Assad is not a Sunni Muslim the president. He is an Alawite. That's another religious group. And then there's the Druze. And so, so you have Fareed, who works in all of these groups, and they're seen to get significant numbers of people coming to faith in Christ. He gets death threats. At one point, he had 30 death threats. He told me this on the phone, and I said, 30? Fareed, how can you have 30 death is, Are you saying that figuratively? He said, no, 30. I said, how do you know you have 30? And he said, they were spray-painted on the front of my apartment and numbered. This is how we're going to kill you. This is what we're going to do to your wife. This is what we'll do to your children. And they numbered them. And so he's a marked man. And there was a man that wanted to kill him and threatened him for five years. His name was Rashid. He would send him text messages and tell him what he was going to do. Finally, Fareed decided to go visit him. Now, in a Western mind, we think, what, how would you go do that? They're Arabs. And if I knock on your door, Drew, we could be bitter enemies. But because of the culture we live in, Arab culture... You have to let me in. Wow, that because would be a great culture great. for the for the Jehovah's Witnesses to go to. Then, <laughs> that's right. yeah, that's right. That's right. You have to let me. It'd be disgraced. Your neighbors. It wouldn't matter that we disagree on everything. That doesn't matter. I knocked on your door. You have to let me in. And so Rashid let him in. They visited. They had coffee. And Fareed did something very smart. He left him with a Bible. He said, "I have a present for your family." And Rashid said, "Really? What's that?" And he gave him a Bible. This man took it. Uh, drew like it was contaminated with two fingers and held it as far away from him as he couldn't sit it on a table. And that was the end of the conversation. Well, weeks later, it ends up that this Rashid lives in homes, which if you've seen any pictures of it in Syria, 80% of it is gone. It, it looks like Berlin after World War II. And one night in the middle of the bombing, Rashid just picks up the Bible and starts to read at 7 o'clock. He can't believe he picked it up. And he said the next time he looked at the clock, it was 6 a.m. in the morning. And later on, he told Fareed he was falling in love with Jesus, as he was just pouring over the words of the Gospels and the Epistles. Fareed ended up leading him to faith in Christ, and now Rashid is a part of that underground church. And amazingly, amazingly, the man that threatened him for five years writes, sweet, worship music, lifting up Jesus so others can worship him. He's been completely redeemed. This is a Saul becoming a Paul, you know? Hmm. Uh, you could turn that into a rap. Um, <laughs> so Tom Doyle, 
Uh, I, I, first of all, I want to let our listeners know uh, we are speaking with Tom Doyle. He's the author of Standing in the Fire, Courageous Christians Living in Frightening Times. We're giving away a copy of today's HarperCollins Canada book to one of our Facebook followers, but you've got to be a Facebook follower and from Canada, and you've got to include your address. So send us a private message on the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page, and you can win a copy of today's book from HarperCollins Canada. Tom, uh, let's see. <clears throat> what impact do you think... Um, Christian President Donald Trump is going to have uh, when he blows up Muslims in other parts of the world. What what impact will that have on on uh, on Christians living there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it, there's going to be tremendous blowback. I mean, there always is because Christians are linked to the West, but. Christianity didn't start in the West, it started in the East, and it was there seven centuries before Islam. But that's the tag they put on us. So I think there'll be blowback. But on the other hand, uh, leaders in Syria, when they heard about the bombs dropping on that air, uh, place where the Air Force had flown out, they were thankful because they'd been in areas where there was chemical weapons used, and that they they wished that, that America would go after the Islamic State harder, too. But they know it's going to be risky, and there's going to be blowback. So it's, I think it's bittersweet for them, Drew, is the best way I can say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want some protection, but yet they know when everything's in doubt, Christians are going to be blamed. It's it's just the automatic default button for Muslim extremists. It's the Christians' fault. Sure, and, sure. And, and sadly, even uh, you know, two years ago in Syria, seven young uh, Muslims that became followers of Christ were hung on crosses on Good Friday. And a Muslim imam announced publicly, if they want to live like Jesus, they'll die like Jesus, and we're going to wash the streets in Christian blood. Wow. And it was a massive, massive what happened. Okay, so you contrast that with, um, oh, I don't know, sucky little North Americans who are Christians, and 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 are they say they're being persecuted at work because, <laughs> you know, because they're a Christian and the rea- my, my experience, Tom, is that the reason that that sucky little Christian here in North America is being persecuted at work is because they're a sucky little North American Christian who are who are being um, socially unaware human beings and doing dumb things at work. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I contrast that nonsense with what I would call real persecution that you're talking about. How do, how yeah. do you feel yeah. about what I just said? Well, you know what? I'm with you. And and I'll tell you, I, I these Muslims have become believers in the Middle East. You can imagine that in Syria. That's the threat of death. They're asked two questions before they receive Jesus. Are, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Two, are, are you willing to die for Jesus? And they answer those questions, yes. And, Drew, I was a pastor for 20 years. Do you remember... Can you imagine those two questions in the new members class? I mean, <laughs> that would spin the ring right then. That would be it. Yeah. Going down the street to the other church. Yeah. yeah. And so I do think sometimes Christians bring things on themselves. They have the secret language. They don't think about blending and being able to bridge a gap. 
we learned all of that working with Muslims and Jews in the Middle East, and it's not about us. It's it's really about Jesus. How can we lift him up the best way? So what is your, again, pushback when people might say to you, dude, why do you have to go over there and take your mm-hmm. religion and go sell it over there? They've got their world, their culture, their traditions, their religion mm-hmm. over there, and you're stepping onto their turf, and then you get bugged when some of them get beat up. Uh, well, I think, first of all... Uh, Jesus called us to do that, and so we'd follow him. He called us to make disciples of all nations. We've also found that a majority of Muslims around the world do not know one believer. But what we found, Drew, is that they're very open to the gospel. Now, the word Christian or church may have a negative connotation. Jesus does not. And here's the game-changer. The game-changer that came for me was this. Muslims are having dreams about Jesus around the world. Muslims are having significant, high-definition dreams about Jesus, where then they are searching on the Internet, trying to find a friend that's a Christian, looking for a Bible. I went to conservative schools. I didn't think anybody was having dreams, but um, they are. And they're seeking out Christians and saying, how does dream tell me about it? What does it mean? And, and we find that Muslims are more open than most North Americans to the Gospel hmm. today. Yeah. I'm sorry, I still got hung up in the fact that you said that Muslims are having high-definition dreams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 1080p. High-definition dreams of Jesus. It's not like a dream where you wake up and go, whoa, what did I eat? You know, in America, they say, what, did you have Taco Bell or something? <laughs> or you went to bed? Not that. Yeah. They had a dream, and they remember the details. They say it was high-definition. I, I can't shake it. Uh, God's doing something. Um, okay, so... How do you want the folks here in North America to respond to the fact that there are Christians being tortured because they're Christians mm-hmm. over in that net? Like, what do you want us to do? You want to? You want our cash? You want? Uh, look, here's the two yeah. things every every ministry wants. The, every ministry wants cash, and if you can't give us cash, then pray for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we don't we don't want cash. Believe me. We want people to change their worldview and to stop getting it from secular news. Because Jesus said this, if if you're a believer, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to stand. They're flimsy. They're like Kleenex. The the kingdom of God is going to bust through. So why would we expect that Christ is not powerful enough for that to happen in Iran, in Syria, in Afghanistan? When we tell Christians these stories, they're in shock. And the reason is, is the only filter they have is cable news. And so uh, I'm not saying all of the terrorism is, is uh, I mean, that's, it's happening. That's, that's it. And that sells on TV. But there's a Muslim revolution. Here's one that will just drop a bomb when I say it. More Muslims have come to faith in Christ in the last 10 to 15 years than in 14 centuries of Islam. 10 to 15 years versus 14 centuries of Islam. Wow. It is one of the fastest-growing people groups that are responding to the gospel in the world. The number one fastest-growing church for capita in the world right now, Drew, is in Iran. It's Iran. All we know is Iran is building the bomb. They want to nuke Israel. Fastest-growing underground church in the world, no question, hands down, is in Iran. So Jesus' church is not limping along because of ISIS. He's not sitting on the throne biting his nails. What are we going to do with Assad? Oh, no, Putin's involved. What are we going to do with Iran? 
things are not falling apart, they're falling into place. The Great Commission is going to be completed someday, and every people group is going to have representation around the throne of God, and that's something to celebrate. Tom Doyle, he's the author of Standing in the Fire, Courageous Christians Living in Frightening Times, and the website is standinginthefirebook.com, standinginthefirebook.com. Final question for you, Tom. What part of Ireland are you from? <laughs> from the southern part. Cork. <laughs> yes. So that what that wasn't the final question, but I just thought I'd ask. You can't be you named Tom. You can't be named Tom Doyle and not have some kind of Irish connection. Hey, hey, Thomas James Patrick Doyle. I've got the credentials. Thomas you James know? Patrick wow. Doyle. Oh. Oh. Holy <laughs> heart attack. Jesus Mary and Joseph. <laughs> How do you think that the North Americans, you know, Really should I, I, okay. So it's so I've already asked this, but as far as you know, waking up, listening to the getting the yeah. right information, not buying into fake news. Yeah, but if they actually are convicted, can they partner with yeah. you somehow? Yeah, they can. I mean, you know, we we started a Facebook site called Eight Thirty Eight. It's the number eight thirty spelled out and eight eight thirty eight p.m. every night when our watch goes off, we stop and pray for believers that are in prison persecution and danger. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of believers around the world that this Easter, they're spending it in prison. That's where they are. They were arrested for their faith. Jesus said they're going to hate you because they hate me. It's the war on Jesus. It's we, we just we just are getting caught up in it. But Paul also said, if one of us hurts, we all hurt. We all suffer if one of us is suffering. So we do want to pray. Our watch goes off at 838 or our phone. And we remember Romans eight thirty eight thirty nine. Paul says, "For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, in names like eight or nine things, shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus." So we remember that verse. Remember our family that lives in harm's way, and we just pray for them and say, "Lord, protect them, use them, keep them bold." We're excited. We can write about in standing in the fire that former ISIS members have come to faith in Christ. If you were with them today, Drew, you would never believe they had that dark, shady past. Christ has so redeemed him. He's transformed him. So pray. God hasn't forgotten the Middle East. He hasn't given up on Syria or Iran and Iraq. He's still moving. Tom, I appreciate your time. I really do. I wish you a tremendous Easter weekend. And this sounds like a fascinating book. Standing in the Fire, Courageous Christians Living in Frightening Times. Tom Doyle on the line with us. Standinginthefirebook.com is the website. Tom Doyle is the author. Happy Easter, Tom. Thank you so much. Take care. Tom Doyle. Oh, Father! I, so, hey, 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 I think hey, I know hey. a Father Tom Doyle. Father Tom Doyle. Yeah, like you think the odds are pretty good that there might be a Tom Doyle who's a pastor. <laughs> All right, short break. We'll be right back. Father and son. 